And these are all ways of sort of clarifying and tailoring things so that the mind doesn't run rampant all over the place and waste your energy and your time. Hi, everyone. We're so glad you're here at Doc Working the Whole Physician podcast. I'm Jill Farmer, a co-host and one of the lead coaches at Doc Working. Today, we're going to be talking about decision making and how you might be able to make better decisions for yourself. But first, remember, we're sponsored by Doc Working Thrive, a subscription coaching service that provides coaching as well as peer support for physicians. Our physicians in Thrive tell us that they feel better, less burned out, and it helps them stay happier in their work and life. So go over to docworking.com today to check out Docworking Thrive. To join us in the conversation today, we have a fantastic expert. Madeline Weiss is here. She is a Harvard-trained psychotherapist. She's a board-certified executive coach. And Madeline, I love what you have to say about why sometimes as humans, and specifically physicians in this conversation, have a hard time making decisions and have a hard time making good decisions. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me here. I am really excited to be here. I spent a lot of my own life in healthcare. So this really means a lot to me. I did a lot of work with the first year medical students at Harvard Medical School, and it was such a privilege. So this is too. This sort of brings me back to the memory of what that meant to be able to lay hands on just a little bit to be able to help to tweak in just the right place, I hope. And I know that you, Jill, have a special interest in time. And I can't think of any better way to free up time than to refine and upgrade our decision-making processes. So thank you for having me here to dig in a little bit on that with you. Two months after I wrote this, I saw this little piece of data that said that humans make 35,000 decisions a day. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, right. This five-step strategy for work and life, getting to great, what is that if it's not one decision after another along the way? And they say that about 200 of them are about food. And I always say, I think that's low. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's low is the part of the brain that a lot of these, not all 35,000 of them, but a lot of them are really life-shaping and they're not coming necessarily from the highest, smartest executive functioning part of the brain. So by the time we're finished today, I have a 30-second mindset reset to kick it upstairs so that more and more of them can be. I think that's such a good way to think about it, right? Because we do tend to think about decisions as something that we wrestle with. We have different styles in the way that we make decisions. We have different capacities based on the amount of sleep we've had and all kinds of other things that really can weigh into this. What do you think in your experience as a coach and a psychotherapist and somebody who has worked with physicians in the early part of their training and other times as well, what do you think are some of the mistakes that we make around decision-making? So what happened was I got so excited excited about this, that I actually started digging into whatever science I could find on decision-making. And no sooner did I do that, that I noticed that there was a Forbes article that 
that said that decision-making should top the growth agenda for every company going forward. So I realize I'm not the only one who thinks this is really a sweet spot. And there are lots of myths around decision-making. And all these studies that I was finding really were kind of myth busting, which is kind of fun in a way. So I'm giving a few presentations on this. So I have a PowerPoint presentation and it's go fast, go bold, go emo, go high. Okay. So let's start with go fast. What do you mean by that as it relates to decision-making? I want to preface this by saying there's no black and white and not everything I'm going to say is going to apply to every decision we make, but there are tendencies that we think are true and good. I know you like to pause. We're both big fans of the pause. If people can pause and use some of this data. Okay. So go fast. The next Natural tendency, I believe, correct me if I say anything that you want to modify or add to, is the more important, the harder a decision feels, the more time we think we should spend on it, right? And by the way, all of these citations are on my website. And if anybody wants to write to me, I'd be happy to provide them for you. But the science that I found was that, in fact, they did a study with CEOs, the harder it was, the less time they found that they should spend on it. The reason for that is because what's making it hard is that there's threat and opportunity roughly equal on both sides. If that was not the case, it wouldn't be hard at all. The reason it's hard, it's because on the one hand, this, and on the other hand, that. So there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of Borodon's ass. So there's this donkey. And the idea is that he's looking at two bales of hay. I've also seen it one bale of hay and another pail of water. And the donkey dies trying to decide whether to pick this one or this one because they were equally important. So I made this thing up that I always say it's not the decisions we make, but what we make of the decision once we have made it that makes the difference in our lives. When it's that hard, when there's equal threat and opportunity on both sides, pick one and give it everything you've got to make it work. The other reason for not going as deliberately slow as we may want to is that if you're in leadership, there's a study that 66% of people would not support a leader who appeared hesitant. So people are watching. And if you're a role model or a leader, you want to look like you are conscientious to a point, but not paralytic in it. So that's go fast. I love that. And I think one of the pieces of research that you referred to, I have come across previously. I thought it was interesting too, is that I think this was out of that Stanford study, the slower somebody takes, the longer it takes them to make a decision, the less information they're actually taking in. I so saw that. think Absolutely. that you're deliberating more and more and, oh, I'm just going to know so much more and I'll finally know enough. Sometimes there's a lot of that fact finder paralysis analysis, all the things we talk about with physicians that if I just get enough more information, it's there. But this study showed us that actually sometimes we're just getting to the point where we're Close. staying in that tension point, as you said, between those two, um, the two poles, and then we end up just stuck. Yes. When we're making 35,000 decisions today, you could see why someone might, that's enough. Absolutely. So go faster than we might otherwise on more occasions than we might otherwise. Not always. So let's talk about what you mean by go bold. Okay. 
So bold. There was another study that found that they had people who played it safe and stayed in their safety zone. And then they had participants who actually made a bolder decision. And then months into it later, they checked who had more satisfaction down the line. And the ones who went bolder did, which makes perfect sense. There's the Yale study that I love, which suggested that optimal learning and decision-making is 70% outside of your comfort zone. And on one of the podcasts that I listened to, I think I heard that just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's bad, which this Yale study actually turns the whole thing on its head and says that if you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning anything. You're not doing anything. So it made perfect sense that the people who were stimulating their brains, so there's this thing called the Goldie locks principle, not too hot, not too cold, just right. So you don't want the novelty and the change to be so much that it shuts the brain down because we're talking about how overwhelmed people feel with the, what, 11 million bits per second of information is what the senses send to the brain Mm -hmm. and the brain can only handle 50 of them. So you don't want so much that we defend, but also the brain likes to be stimulated wants to know something new is happening here and it's motivating and then good things do happen. That's the idea for going bold. Yeah, I remember once talking to somebody who worked exclusively for a large healthcare organization and worked in that sort of onboarding and bringing people in and they shared a piece of research, which I can't put my finger on now, but that people have better job satisfaction the steeper the learning curve within the first six months of a job. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times it's really uncomfortable, right? When we start something new, But over time, even though our brain immediately might say, I wish it was familiar. I wish I had mastery. I wish I wasn't being challenged. And I think that's true with decisions too. We wish it was just simple and there was no possibility of being wrong, right? That's a big thing physicians like to tend to avoid for a variety of reasons. And of course, when it comes to healthcare decisions that they're making on behalf of patients, that is very powerful motivator. But the other side of it is when you're trying to be absolutely hundred percent certain in every other situation or decision you make in your life, that's just not possible. being yeah. willing to take some stretches and be a little bit bolder in those areas where it isn't life or death long-term right. brings more satisfaction is what I'm hearing you say. Well, I actually noticed something really interesting and important with my clients that they would present as if there was something wrong with their job or there was something wrong with their spouse. And what we found is the tree wants to grow and the bird wants to fly. And so do we. And so my gifted and talented clients were bored and didn't know that that was what it was, that they were doing wonderful things, but it was the same thing and they were bored. And so once they knew that the externals like the job or the spouse or how much money they make or whatever it is, they can take it inside and say, where do I want to go from here? Yeah, really powerful. So be bold. That's the second idea that you've shared beautifully. Tell me a little bit what you mean by go emo. That's the word my children use for emotional. 
So another myth is that decision-making should be logical. And I'm sure you all know about the Psych 101 Phineas Gage, where he had a brain injury in the frontal lobe, and it injured the emotional centers of the brain. And while he seemed kind of normal, his judgment was impaired. And then there was this wonderful story, and I can't find the citation anymore. If anybody knows it, please send it to me, of a male physician could not get dressed in the morning because he had the same kind of injury. He didn't know what his preference was. So he'd look at all these pairs of pants and didn't know what pants to put on because he didn't know how he felt about what to wear. So they did this whole study on that. And then there are also more current citations that when there are those kinds of injuries, there is cognitive impairment in judgment and planning and decision-making and so on. There's the hand model of the brain. I think it's Dan Siegel's hand model of the brain. The idea is that when this part of the brain, say the amygdala, is freaking out, doesn't like what's going on here. When this thing is not under very good control, it knocks the higher brain centers offline and your decision making is coming from here. So what we do with my 30-second mindset reset is to stimulate the polyvagal nerve, which stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, takes us out of fight, flight, freeze, and the executive functioning brain. We're now an integrated brain. And this can say to this, I'm not sure I like what's going on here. Can you help me? And this can say to this, I got it from here. Thanks for sharing. And decision-making then comes from the finest, smartest part of the brain because they're talking to each other. That amygdala hijack, which I think is pretty powerful, the reacting without thinking. And so what I'm understanding when you say go emo is that a lot of times, especially if somebody is very traditionally sort of that scientific or what some people would call left brain, they think I just need to be logical and just be weighing things as if I just do the pros and cons list and then it gets clear. And it turns out we have to bring some of our emotional intelligence on board yeah. with the logic in order to make decisions that are ultimately going to be better in the long run. Am I understanding you correctly? Yes. As they say, emotions are data, not direct directives, but the data is really important. So you could pick your pants out in the morning without wasting time thinking about it. Yeah, that's really powerful. Okay. So we've talked about the idea when it comes to making decisions of being willing to maybe go a little fast or faster, right? Be bold, go emo, or be willing to bring some of our emotional intelligence on board when it comes to making decisions. What else do we need to know about making decisions? There was another study, which I thought was going to undo everything I just said to you, because it seemed to be suggesting that people feel better about their decisions if they put a lot of themselves into it. And I thought, oh no, I just got done saying we should put fast. But as I read more, I realized that they realized that they weren't really talking about time. What they were really talking about was attention, the quality of the attention that we put on a matter. You could spend a lot of 
up time. The mind wanders 70% of the time into past regrets, future worries. You spend a lot of time and not really be attending to a major decision in your life. They really got to a place in this article that I read, I was so relieved, where they were talking about mindfulness and they were saying it's really putting a quality attention on these matters of importance in our lives. That's what I mean by going high, doing that hand model of the brain, an integrated brain, so that the executive functioning brain is driving the bus. Yep. You're speaking my language there. I talk a lot about mindfulness and being in the present moment and that it's not just a nice thing we tell you to do in order to be a peaceful Zen-like person. It really does take the brain from its natural tendency at times of ruminating backwards about things you can't change, projecting forward, scary movies about things that haven't happened yet and bring you into a place where you're likely to make at least the next best decision in a given moment. People worry though, that they'll go soft. And especially for physicians who hold people's lives in their hands, they want to be clear and sharp and focused. And that's what these mind exercises do. I don't know whether you saw this too, but I saw something within the past week or so where they were sort of suggesting that meditation, which I have been doing every day, I've been studying Advaita Vedanta, pre-Hindu tradition regularly for over 20 years. I do my practice, but people are saying now that breath work, which is much quicker, might yield enough benefit. And there's somebody, Sarah Lazar at Mass General, does studies on, for example, how long do you need to do this? But this 30-second mindset reset, I'm such a fan, and I teach it to all of my clients. It's on my website for free in this box that's complimentary mind management exercise. So if anybody wants to pull the quick one page instruction, you can go there and do that. And we'll circle back around at the end and tell people how they can reach you as well. So let's talk about something that is in a lot of conversations as it relates to physicians and making decisions. And that's the idea of decision fatigue, which I think as it's used generally, it just means that when you make lots and lots of decisions in a given day, there's some research that says that we lose our capacity to make as accurate or as quick of decisions as the day goes on. What's your feeling about this concept of decision fatigue? I have a favorite question that I think will help with decision fatigue. The question is, is there something to be done here? Because as you were saying, just because you feel uncomfortable doesn't mean anything bad is happening. Just because you feel uncomfortable doesn't mean you have to do anything either. We need to pause with the 30 second mindset reset, kick it upstairs and ask, is there something to be done here. Sometimes, yes, right now, car coming, get out of the way or whatever might pertain to patient care. Sometimes, yes, but I already did it. Sometimes, yes, but not by me, in which case something needs to be delegated. And sometimes the answer is no. And then just breathe. And these are all ways of sort of clarifying and tailoring things so that the mind doesn't run rampant all over the place and waste your energy 
energy and your time. I'm just a really big fan of getting refined enough up here that we save time and energy for better things than running around in our heads. Wow. That is fabulously said and a perfect way for us to end this really fascinating conversation. Thank you for your insights, for giving us some new information in ways that really allows us to think about the way we make decisions. I know our physician clients will really appreciate mm-hmm. your wisdom and our physician listeners, especially as well. Madeleine Weiss, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. If you guys would like more information on how to get your brain where you would like it to be when you're making decisions on her website at MadeleineWeiss.com. I'm going to spell it real quickly for you because it's M-A-D-E-L-A-I-N-E-W-E-I-S-S.com. There is a really simple way that you can go through, as she said, the 30-second mind reset. Very good information there. We also have that information in our show notes for you as well. It could be a good tool for you to try to integrate some of these ideas that we've talked about here today. Thanks again for joining us, Madeline. Thanks to all of you for being with us. Until next time, make sure you go over to docworking.com. Check out our incredible program, Doc Working Thrive, just for physicians to help get you the coaching support and the peer support you need in order to thrive in these very challenging times. Until next time, I'm Jill Farmer. I'm Amanda Taran, producer of Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and head over to docworking.com to see all we have to offer.